Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And also, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so so much for stopping by because we are going to make some good trouble. I am kicking (laughs) off the the new year. We're getting into it. Uh, We are blowing up more topics, expanding topics that we have uh, started. I started, uh, you know, last year. Uh, We talked about culture. We talked about gender. We talked about, uh, you know, all sorts of things. I want to expand my portfolio a bit and talk more about the environment. Uh, You know, diversity inclusion includes Mother Earth. That is, that it's, we don't, we don't have anything without that. And I know it could be a very uh, touchy subject, but that's what Good Trouble is all about to really help folks understand what's going on. And to that end, here is a creator who is, I think, offering a lot in terms of education, in terms of an ability to have good, honest conversations about this, but that opens a way forward for discussion. I really appreciate her vibe. She feels the good trouble too. So it's like, I, whenever somebody is in that mode, that, that cutting that middle of like, okay, we're going to be honest, but we're going to talk about it too. I got I to gotta reach out. Uh, mm-hmm. I followed her channel for the last year and it's been growing and it's been wonderful to see. And I've been educated myself and I want to ask about some of the things on the channel. I know my intros are long, but I love watching the guests just squirm, be like, wow, when's he going to stop talking? <laughs> this is the one pip wonder. She is Jana Minoto. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jason. <laughs> that was a very kind intro. <laughs> we have, I love watching you squirm. The more you squirm, the more the longer the intro is going. Be. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, sell it. That's the only way you make the intro short. Anyway, uh, so we're going to talk about um, board games through mm-hmm. the lens of environmental sustainability. Uh, and we're going to try to have a, you know, like we do all the time here on Shelf Stories. Uh, an intelligent conversation that is honest. Uh, and I, the way I'm framing it, and I told Jonna before uh, the call, I want to frame it as good news, ba- uh, bad news and good news. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's a lot of not so great news. And I think we need to be honest about where it's coming from. But I think there's this gut instinct to kind of resist it. And like, oh, why are you talking about this? Why are you bothering me? And so that's yeah. where a lot of the, the resistance comes from. But we'll talk about that. Um, but but we're going to acknowledge that resistance, and then we're going to try to move through it and get to a better place. So good news. Right, at the, right. Near the end of the show, looking forward what we can do. Gotcha. So that's yeah. the way we're going to do, but we need to get to know Jonna first. Jonna, <laughs> please like tell us you know who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about your channel. Sure. Well, yeah, my name is Jonna Minato, and I've been reviewing board games um, on YouTube and doing some uh, segments for the Dice Tower over the last two to three years. And uh, just this past year, I really found my voice and really realized that what I wanted to focus on was the environment and sustainability in board gaming because it really wasn't a conversation I was having with anyone. And I, I wanted to see that change. So- and What does that um, come from in your life? Do you, are you- uh, is that something that is a party profession? Is that something that is a, per- a personal passion? Uh, it's something that's always been on my mind. When I was a kid, I was very aware of the environment. In fact, I, I was looking at some sketchbooks from when I was like seven or eight. And I oh, wow. had been drawing pictures of like trash and like little kids being really sad. I'm like, wow, this goes <laughs> way back. <laughs> this is pretty deep, I guess. So anyway, it's just always something I've um, been very sensitive about and had a heart for. And, um, and there's definitely when like, I was, yeah, I'm sorry. There's different, different, I'm sorry to interrupt, but there's different modes. Like you can, because yeah. t- the environmental movement isn't one thing. Like it's been, it's yeah. changed and you yeah. can, you know, so like the environmental movement in the sixties is different than the seventies, eighties, nineties and all that kind of stuff. So like, right. if you grew up in a certain era, it would be like acid rain. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a big thing. Or like, there'll be the hole in the ozone layer. That was the big that- thing haunt like I was so terrified of that when mm. I was growing up because I learned all about that and um what really happened was like Canada uh they cut the emissions that were causing the ozone layer and it really saved it like it's yeah. healed healed essentially mm-hmm. like mother earth can heal itself and I was like wow I can't believe that that we they were able to fix that 
but we still have these bigger issues that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And when I was young, a lot of my anxiety about the environment, like my parents knew it was weighing on me. And I mean, I'm a Christian, so we would just pray about it and give it to the Lord and be like, you know, God is in control. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely believe that. But I also see that the way people treat the world hasn't changed since I was a child. And now that I'm an adult, I feel like it's my responsibility to make things better and to speak as an advocate for the planet and for future generations. So awesome. I know that sounds like like this big thing, but it's really like, I don't have a big platform, but I'm gonna use what I have to uh, try to influence people to do more for the planet and to be more mindful you're officially of part of the shelf stories family come on and <laughs> you're making you're making the trouble you're talking about um i mean it's it sounds so and i guess that maybe that's a that's a social thing where talking about the um the environment like i talked about the the, the pushback right so it's like whenever you mention yeah. environment stuff the assumption is that we're making trouble and we're making people feel bad and right. that's yeah. that's a thing that is whatever but it, another aspect of it is that you know like caring about like the, our what our grandchildren do, caring about what happens in twenty one hundred has somehow become like this Pollyanna thing, and it's like yeah. no, I I have a daughter and she's yeah. gonna procreate, and I what what kind of world are they going to live in? And the right. projections for really smart people are not looking good right now. So I want to be able to talk about that without that yeah. sense of like oh, well, you're just being Pollyannish and you're just being whatever. Like you could be a yeah. really serious person. No, it's, it is it is really serious. If you, if you research it at all, you realize like it's not looking good if we don't change the amount of carbon emissions that we're putting out in the environment. If we don't make changes, right. it is not going to be good in the next two, three generations. Like that is reality. So for me and my husband, we started making changes over the last um the last two years, we actually got solar panels on our roof. We recently bought a new house and were able to invest in that. We didn't redo the kitchen. We put solar panels on the house. So that's just a really important thing for us because we want to be able to tell our sons, like, we did everything we could, or at least we tried. Mm -hmm. So to, um, to change our ways and to be an influence on others, like just making personal choices, it, it inspires others and at gets people to ask questions. Mm -hmm. um, so this is something that uh, over the years, I've just been making more and more switches for eco-friendly things. And um, as I've you know, had the opportunity to invest, we've always tried to invest in reducing our carbon footprint. And so it just struck me as really weird that when I would go to buy a luxury item, like a board game, that would, there was absolutely no sustainable option. Mm. Like no one's talking about using FFC wood in board games when board games are primarily made out of wood and no and one's paper, talking about yeah. reducing plastic mm -hmm. or like how can we just make it better, more sustainable? And that first struck me as odd, but then when I started working with, um, T. Kairas from Haba USA. Mm -hmm. I was really struck by a lot of things that they were sharing with me about the Haba products. Like they were, they would say things like, we're using more and more recycled cardboard because a lot of other companies are moving away from that. And that really struck me as odd. I'm like, why is that? Like, if they're able to pursue more recycled materials, why shouldn't we be pushing that? Mm -hmm. in every aspect of the hobby like adults mm -hmm. should have eco-friendly board games too not just kids right. so a lot of um my questioning came from learning what other brands were doing and realizing like oh people aren't talking about this publishers aren't talking about this manufacturers may be talking about it but they're not it's not happening in the spotlight like it's mm -hmm. not happening with consumers being aware of it so that's really where I realized that I wanted to pursue this. Right. I mean, I guess it's such an interesting thing about like, you know, it seems obvious, right? If you just open a science textbook or if you look at five minutes of the data, uh, you know, I have a psychotherapist uh, and the most nervous client that I've ever had in my entire life uh, wasn't like a financial anxiety person, wasn't necessarily, you know, all these things you would think would be anxiety inducing, like a fighter pilot, a, a, 
the most nervous person was a climate scientist. Mm. That person came in and they were like melting down, ready to buy property in Iceland because, or, you know, the, and like move their family there yeah. because I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. And, you know, it's because they're, and that's why the movie uh, Don't Look Up, which we talked both agree with and discussed was, you know, uh, yeah. a thing, you know, on Netflix. So go ahead and check out Don't Look Up. It's a, a climate metaphor. And yeah. the motif is that, you know, you have these really smart people who see danger coming and they're yelling into the void. No one's listening because, yeah. you know, the, the, the media and are just our, our comfort, you know, just like regular yeah. people don't want to be disturbed. And I think part of what has happened, I know this is kind of big picture conversation that we'll get to the board games in a minute, but I think it's important to uh, lay this track a little bit because I don't just want to come off as we're attacking board games. We're not. We want to make no. it better. Yeah. Um, the context, like, you know, we have been talking about this stuff. Like you mentioned before, you were drawing trash in your, you know, thing when you were like seven years old. Uh, you know, it's it can get a little bit shrill, you know. So it's like, you know, an inconvenient truth from Al Gore came out in like the mid two thousands, and yeah. you know, you had all these yeah. different. Uh, you know, Greenpeace has been doing quote unquote eco terrorism for so long, and so like the message has been out there: the world is ending, the world is ending, the world is ending, and the world hasn't ended yet yeah. for us. So it's like it's almost like a lot of people give themselves permission to check out and mm -hmm. like, let's just go for nicer stuff anyway. Like, I mean, Oh, eco-friendly people have been talking about eco-friendly for so long. So like, they just, they are as humans. If we don't see something, we just go the other way. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, yeah, I'm not going to worry about that. World's not going to end. Let me go ahead and do UV coding on my game or let's do, you know, make it look good, make it all Chrome and all that kind of stuff. We'll definitely talk about Chrome. Uh, <laughs> um, but so I think like, I think, it's like, you know, eventually that the, the message has become a little bit of boy cries wolf because yeah. like, okay, the world's in the world's in the world's ending. Meanwhile, like the apocalypse doesn't look like that. The apocalypse, it's more slow. Like, yeah. the, you know, it's, it's slow warming. It's, mm -hmm. you know, uh, slightly more devastating floods and, you know, uh, stronger rains and bigger droughts. And like this thing just kind of happens over years and years. So like when you hear like the shrill world's ending, message you know what they're saying is it, we're on a bad track not that the world will end tomorrow but that we're on a bad track right. and right. saying something reasonable like you're on a bad track is not getting the attention mm -hmm. plenty of people and, are, are putting that mess but they're, they're not get, they're not getting the attention unfortunately though that bad track is really starting to bite us a little bit right and the to to go with with your um, picture there, like being on a bad track, it's not only that we're going the wrong direction, but we're like a freight train with a whole lot of weight going right. one direction full speed. People aren't putting the brakes on reducing the amount of coal and oil and plastic. People are still <laughs> using and making plastic, virgin plastic. It's being produced every day. And we know it's not going anywhere. And it just is a little, like, it is gradual, but it's also like, if we don't at least slow down and maybe start to like turn mm -hmm. the tracks in a new direction, um, it, it could end. And I think that's the big thing is people are truly unable to imagine the world ending. And I think part of like watching that movie, like you mentioned, looking up, that was so, uh, for someone who's worried about the future and worried like, you know, what my grandchildren's future will look like, um, to see the world end was very, um, I don't know, it was almost a healthy thing to kind of like feel that pain and like mm -hmm. see it and just be able to like, yes, someone else sees what I am worried about and what I like stay at night thinking about. Right. So it was kind of like someone validating your worries that no one else is seeing. There's a lot of people who like, I feel seen <laughs> with this, with the Don't Look Up movie. Yes. Uh, it's a really popular one. I mean, the, it's a hard thing to look at. I mean, you, there's so much new science. I mean, and where this is going to be like a crash course, not even a crash course. I mean, because Jonna and I obviously have been reading up on this stuff, like we can't help it. Uh, yeah. And so like bits and bobs come in there. So like you hear like you, the UN report and in 10 years, we're going to hit this irreversible course and, and life is going to be, you know, 
uh, very hard to deal with in 2100 or whatever it is. And that's a UN report. It's right there. Or yeah. like, you know, the, the uh, Antarctic ice shelf is like experiencing these massive cracks and all this kind of thing. And that, right. and, you know, and it's like, and they're saying like, okay, maybe Miami will be gone in 10 years. And, you know, and this is one of these like truly un- inconceivable things. And yeah. uh, I don't know. I, so I think when, when Joe and I kind of, you know, started to, you know, chat and, and get together, I think like, you know, what can we do? Yeah. You know, what can we do? And John has made some uh, changes in her individual life. And I've kind of, you know, trying to, um, you know, platforming different people who are, who are focused on this stuff. Like, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about like what's happening in our industry because mm-hmm. it's, it does matter. Like, you know, you talked about plastic. That's all of board gaming. Yeah. How much yeah. plastic, do, how much plastic is up with it? <laughs> I'm, I'm a, for the podcast i'm holding my, my camera up like i have a lot of plastic okay. up there i have yeah, there i have uh, assassin's creed is like a huge box three-fifths of it are just plastic not just the minis but the inserts mm-hmm. you know um and you know as as kickstarters have gone on and as you know as the hobby is kind of deluxified we're just like plastic 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 so we want to like let's give them the bad news jonna <laughs> okay well the the bad news is complicated because not everyone let's see how can i put this like i think the bad news is that people underestimate that the things that they purchase have a lifespan that is going to be a lot longer than their life yeah okay for example plastic has a lifespan of between 400 and like a thousand years they don't really know because it's still around and we've only had it for like a hundred years and Mm -hmm. from what they can tell it's going to be around a lot lot longer so we're kind of dealing with this like unknown that we just kind of know is really bad and I think that people just don't take that into account is the bad news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, I mean, the sense that like, you know, why are plastics bad? I, I well, think that we need a little plastic, bit of a basic Okay, a little bit more base. Okay, yeah, plastics are bad because they don't biodegrade. Even bioplastics, which are could be made from like a plant-based plastic, will not biodegrade in, you know, the next, 10 or 20 years like it takes hundreds of years for it to break down and because it doesn't decompose it just gets broken down into tinier and tinier pieces which is called microplastic microplastic is like five centimeter or smaller and what they find is that it just gets smaller and smaller to the point where you know you have to filter it out of water and to the point where plants actually absorb it into their roots and it's in our food system to the point where fetuses have microplastics in them they found microplastics in like baboons like it's everywhere and the facts are a little blurry because they don't really know the negative impacts that it will have on humans but like, I they when I, when I was a kid they would show like the the six pack like a, a plastic pack and like a dolphin okay. getting caught in the six pack yeah yeah <laughs> you know well, like, this is even like this is like invisible six packs, like getting <laughs> caught inside your intestines. Like mm. it's really strange. I mean, they don't know all the research, but there is more and more coming in that it can kill cells at the, at the level where you're digesting it. Like, and this is like, when I was growing up, I'm not sure I was ingesting as much plastic as my children probably are. Mm. And so it's just kind of like, um, at this point unchecked, but we do know that it's there and more than likely it will be harmful. A lot of mm-hmm. people have in, in um, like digestional issues and a lot of the people that they have found, like they had a higher content of microplastic in their bodies. So, I mean, we're just starting to learn what these effects are gonna be. And right. that's kind of the worst news that we don't really know how bad it's yeah. gonna be because it's but already in progress. And, and um, a conversation like this will, I think as a culture, we're we've gotten used to this idea that like you know a board, board game collector is mine i'm buying it for me mm-hmm. what happens to your board games when you pass on yeah well a lot of people feel that they are it will be inherited and that their children will you know take on those board games 
and love them. And if not, they will store them. But I think that is a little idealistic. Mm -hmm. um, maybe your grandchildren will want to buy their own board games <laughs> or like something new. And the fact is that most of this stuff will end up in the environment at some point. Right. And there is an environmental cost. Like you pay for a game and it has like a, a, a cost on, on your um, pocketbook, but then there's an environmental cost. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what a lot of people don't consider. Uh, the other thing, should I keep going? <laughs> well, I um, talk about, so like the subtlety in which plastic plays out in board games. It's not just the minis. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, no, I think it's we, not. Yeah. I think we, we think about when we think about plastics, we think about, I mean, minis are the obvious thing. Think about minis. About you yeah. think about plastic box inserts. Um, a lot mm -hmm. of people talk about card sleeves, but I mean, card sleeves are usually bought extra and added. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't begrudge people card sleeves because usually people put them on games that they really love and they're trying to make last longer. Right. So there is like a durability effort there. Um, but I think it is wasteful to do it for every game that you own. <laughs> That's just me personally. <laughs> but card sleeves aside, then we also have spot UV printing right. or just UV printing, which is a is. plastic. It is a plastic finish. It is clay, plaster, and it is polymer. So, I mean, as deluxe as we like to think our spot UV finishes, it's just plastic. And so when that biodegrades, like the cardboard will eventually, you know, go back into the earth and that's great, but the plastic will, is already a microplastic. So that will just flake apart and could end up in a water source or uh, a landfill. Hopefully it would be safer in a landfill, but that is plastic already broken down into tiny microscopic bits that we have to account for. Mm -hmm. And for me, I feel like spot UV is one of the easiest things we should opt out of if we're looking to reduce the environment because it is an aesthetic thing. Right. Um, I know that some publishers are switching to a spot UV or a UV printing to make the boxes more durable in lieu of like shrink wrap, which I like, I understand you're like problem solving, but ultimately I'd rather take the shrink wrap and put it in the garbage and take care of it rather than, you know, 30 or 40 years from now, it, the plastic break apart uh, off of my board game. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, another, so, that's another topic. So, and, and I think that's why I wanted to get into the more granular stuff, you know, because yeah. it's in the granularity that you get the potential for solutions. Right. Because it isn't going right. to be, I think uh, um, in terms of that backlash, in terms of like, oh, well, you're going to take away my games and not give me anything in return. That's that's yeah. really what triggers stuff. But it's like, uh, let's break apart the problem and figure out if there are these little points where right. we can make a change. So like spot UV is a perfect that. In fact, it's, it was your spot UV episode, which is on one fifth wonder. Go ahead and uh, give him a like and subscribe. That actually inspired me to be like, I have to talk about this uh, mm -hmm. because it's just like I, I like when we can really take apart something and yeah. it's like, OK, if look at this. Look at spot UV. Look at game trays inserts. Yeah, um, game tray inserts are a big one. Mm -hmm. um, they yep. are made out of a black plastic that's flimsy. It's not a desirable plastic. If you look on it, it most box inserts do not have the Chasing Arrows logo, which is what they use to identify what type of plastic it is. It doesn't have it on it. That's garbage. Mm. It cannot go in the recycling system. And it's often a tool or it's used to make the box more bloated to look more valuable. So a box insert will make a tiny deck of cards look like a big game. So that's like another aspect to it that is not environmentally friendly by bloating up our, our games and increasing the environmental footprint overall. Um, like, so, you know, so. expansions, like that's a big bugaboo for gamers, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this expansion. I get this like kind of sizable yeah. box and mm -hmm. then inside is a deck of cards. Yeah. And all deck of cards. And like, okay, well, that's one of all sneaky. Thank you very mm -hmm. much for being sneaky on me. Number two, how are you filling that box out? That box isn't getting filled out by, you know, feathers. It's right. It's, it's all plastic because it has to be held in and all that kind yeah. of thing. Uh, you mentioned before that the game trays are using like a bad kind of plastic. Are there are they like 
different levels of it? Are some plastics better than others or, or is that? Well, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I don't really know, I'm not a specialist, but from what I understand, um, the Chasing Arrows with the number one is usually a clear plastic and that's most desirable and most usable. Usually that's a white or a, I'm sorry, the clear water bottles and they can be turned into new clear water bottles. Okay. That's the most common recycling that is used in mm. like food. I'll, the next one would be like a, a white plastic similar to milk bottles. So that's very easy to recycle. That becomes new milk bottles. When you get into different colors and different qualities of plastic, it becomes harder and harder to reuse. So the thin uh, black plastic is just, it's not a, a durable, it's not like a high quality plastic. And um, if it doesn't even have the chasing Arizona, I really wouldn't know what it is, but it wouldn't be uh, something you could put in your like recycling bin and take it out to the street. Mm -hmm. So that that's what I know. I just know, and I also know that- That's more than what I know, I, I learned something. Only about 9% of plastics that are collected actually become a new product. The majority of what's collected ends up in the garbage or in landfills anyway. So it's really something that um, we're kind of fed and told that it's a good thing to recycle, recycle, recycle. But really the, the good work that's being done, it, it's very small. We're not actually using a lot of the plastics that are being collected. And so a lot of people assume that the plastics that they're buying are recycled because we're like, well, there's so much of it, they must be using it. The truth is there isn't. The majority of the plastics in our board games, not the majority, all the plastics in our board games <laughs> right. are virgin plastics. Mm. Lego is a multi-million dollar brand and they just last year announced a big announcement we're using recycled plastic for our bricks and they're white and they're plain and they're boring, but they're recycled. This is like huge news. A toy company has actually figured out a way to reuse our old plastic. So it's really important for people to know, like it's very uncommon for old plastics to be used because it's not good quality and it's not consistent and it's expensive. Virgin plastic is way more cheaper and it looks mm -hmm. better. So that's why it's always gone being uh, used in manufacturing. Okay, so, so um, I mean, there's so much there and I wanna uh, kind of jump off of some of those, those points. Uh, the, the, the idea of virgin plastics being more desirable and the mm -hmm. idea of virgin more plastics kind of like selling better. Like we're not just, like, we're not just going off of people's feelings, right? We're not just, you know, uh, saying, uh, you know, trigger people's feelings for no reason. Like, you know, we're not only are we trying to help people understand, we're going against profit motive, right? Yeah. And that's why we're in this, this mess in the first place is because of profit motive. And, you know, so companies have a motive to please consumers, mm -hmm. right? And the more pleasing things are the very things that if you look at any Kickstarter page, what the, the what they were asking for. It's like, you know, if you, you know, kind of blue pill, red pill type. So if like, if you're, if you're doing blue pill, just like you're, you're, you're just like enjoying games. It's like, oh yeah, uh, you know, game trays and uh, oh, yeah. minis. And we'll take the minis, yep. And, and um, actually, <laughs> I hope Jamie Stegmeyer is watching the show. Uh, hi, Jamie. Uh, he does watch the show from time to time. And like, he talks about how, you know, I think this was when he was making Tapestry where, you know, the game could look a certain way and it'll cost X amount of money. But then for very little cost, he can add spot UV and deluxe components and all this other plastic. Like this stuff is super cheap, like you were mentioning before. Yeah, so like is. for an extra, whatever it is, $10 to the publisher, he can sell his game for another 30. Mm -hmm. And the publisher, from the publisher end, <laughs> that's like hand in a cookie yeah. jar you should give me free money uh and and from a consumer and we're like oh we're getting this great deal but that's like blue pill type stuff yeah uh red pill you're you, you know you see like once you're kind of realizing okay no, we're using the virgin plastics we're using um you know the the cheaper woods and we're using all you know the shipping from china or whatever these other practices uh that like you know make things cheaper 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 these things that kickstarter mm -hmm. backers are asking for on a daily basis 
it's almost like you're seeing a hit list of, oh, there goes another one from Mother Earth. There goes another yep. one from Mother Earth. There goes another. You ever get that feeling that's like, oh my God, what are these people asking for? <laughs> I know. It really is. It is really hard because you don't want to kill people's joy. You know, like our, our hobby is escapism. Our hobbies are, are luxury. But I, I all, it, yeah, I definitely feel um, kind of like punched in the gut when, when I see people wanting like plastic corners on their boxes for shipping so that they come perfectly. I'm like, do you know how much extra plastic that is? That's just for like getting it to your house. And they had to pay some worker to put those eight corners on your box and all this extra stuff. And yeah, it didn't cost you anything extra. You love it, but there was a lot of cost involved. There was manual labor involved with that. And there was also environmental costs mm -hmm. with that. And I know you think it's great, but it's just like poison to me. <laughs> <laughs> when I see that. And, and we want to hit that middle right we we want yeah. to we don't want to be killjoys we don't want to hammer people but at the same time there is a cost like and i think that's kind of the the, the message here right that, that you that want to like cost. sure if you if you want plastic in your game like for example one of my favorite games is project l and it's probably one of the most unenvironmentally friendly games i own because every single piece of that game has either is plastic or has spot uv on it and but i play it all the time and i do really love it and i'm i'm like well maybe that's my one cheat like i i have this one game that i really love but then maybe the next game could be more you know environmentally friendly um i I also don't know where I'm going with this. My brain is just everywhere. Well, but I, mean, I think I you think pointed to a, you pointed to something excellent there, where it's like we're not against this stuff, and there's a utility yeah. there, like you know, yeah. sleeving cards, and like there's you know, uh, having nicer, like you know, I remember um, Eric Lang that tells a story about Blood Rage, where you know uh, the the minis are chunky, right, and he would just walk by and pick up one of the minis and throw them against the wall. And then, you know, and then pick up the mini, put it back and be like, okay, look at the sturdiness of this mini. And, you know, this the idea that like- So that's you can, what game designers do, I see. <laughs> the idea that like sometimes, you know, uh, people get eco-friendly yeah. and they think like flimsy and cheap and like, you know, it's going to biodegrade in my table. Like yeah, you're going to get yeah. five uses out of it and whatever. And it's like, well, that's not what we want. We want people to have joy. It's just our current model, not mm -hmm. only- is deluxifying like you know deluxify is okay it's just the volume of it every game is deluxified right All, right like and, and we're pushing more and more like you know every kickstarter and you know there's this pressure on publishers to offer the nicer thing to offer the game trace to offer and we're focusing on plastics a lot because that's a lot of um where board games kind of like do damage it's not the that's not the only thing no, it's not. No. Um, and just to just speak on the idea of like deluxifying, like we do think of these things where where we think it's more luxe, but really it is just the cheaper option. Pla like putting plastic on a board game is going to make it shiny and pretty, but it's really the cheapest thing that you could possibly put on that box. Mm -hmm. While if you went with a linen wrap, which is something that um, like Haba does, they use an actual limit linen, which is a like a cloth and it's printed right on it. That's very, very durable. And it's luxe, like linen is like old school, high quality material. And it does literally cost more, but it is biodegradable and highly durable. So, I mean, it's like the perfect material to make board game boxes out of and it's true quality. Um, and I, I don't know, I think that a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, but like we all are kind of fooled for these cheap swaps that really don't bring quality to our game mm -hmm. or don't bring, um, don't make the experience better necessarily. They bring uh, appeal, but they, are they bring just, aesthetic appeal. They bring appeal, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and also, um, and I, I'm educating that myself about this as well. I don't know if you're gonna have a special on this, uh, but adhesive. Mm. No, the, the I don't know a lot about it yet, but so it's tell a, it's me. A, <laughs> tell they, me more. Adhesive don't biodegrade, like you know, like oh, like so, the glues. Yeah, the glue it doesn't biodegrade. So like the, everything is glued. If you if it's a cardboard, it's glued. 
if it's cards, you know, a lot of the cards are glued to like magic cards. Like, I mean, I mean we're talking about a multi-billion dollar industry. Like, you know, they're glued together and that glue does not biodegrade, at least mm-hmm. now. So like, you know, it, it, and you can tell when a card is flimsy. You can tell when a card is, you know, uh, it, it doesn't shuffle well and whatever. So like they've, they've kind of pushed things in towards this technology where it's like, okay, they're sturdier and they'll last long and all kind of stuff, but at what cost? Yeah, but at what cost? Another big thing that we really need to focus on is the responsibly sourcing of materials. Right. Uh, I think a lot of people, like when you think about your board game, you just see the finished product and you forget like almost everything. If it's not plastic, it came from a tree. Mm. And it's an entire industry based on products, byproduct of trees. And yet the conversation around whether these trees are um, responsibly sourced, how are the communities being treated, where these trees are coming from, there's really a big black hole as to what is going on there. Now in the EU, there is a lot more um, sustainable foresting, Um, There's a lot more trees set aside just for manufacturing. It is a different mentality and mindset. Um, And in China, the manufacturing is just set up different. There's a lot of like the trees would come maybe from the cheapest source available, or maybe coming from a situation. I have heard different publishers say that, or not publishers, but different people who work in the industry say that um, some manufacturers do actually have trees near their factory and they use those trees, but are they using all the trees for the paper in my board game or is it a mixture? Where's the rest of the wood from? Uh, And when you look at the fact that not a lot of our board games actually use recycled fibers, which was really striking to me. Again, in the EU, it's a much higher content of recycled fibers. Recycling is much more prominent and common and like just part of their system there. So most board games, at least at Ludofact, they use 95% recycled fibers. Like they know that. And then the rest of it, they need to kind of mix in to like get a good uh, mixture of fibers. So they'll use a virgin paper. Mm -hmm. Um, But in China, it's a little, little harder to know. I've spoken to, I know two different manufacturers. One uses 30%, the other one uses 8% recycled fibers. So what's the rest of the fibers coming from? What type of wood is that? Are we seeing forest like being clear cut for that wood? We don't know. I mean, we would hope not, but when you're dealing with companies or when you're dealing with people making profit off of nature, I mean, you almost have to assume the worst or you have to guard against the worst because people will do what they have to to make a profit so Um, so once again i'm going to come back to this theme over and over again this idea that you know why are we having these conversations why are we talking about you know uh, the virgin plastics why we talk about linen why we talk about all these things uh you know we're not doing it to bump people out i mean i think they i want to address that catastrophe instinct that like we want people to play flimsy ugly games and like, mm-hmm. that's what the environment thing is all about. It's like, okay, let's just take away all the great looking stuff and have like flimsy ugly games. Um, no. You mentioned before, and we can now start to turn to the good news. You had, um, I think it was the, it wasn't, I don't know if it was the CEO of Blue Effect, but some, a definitely representative on your show. Oh yeah, he's, he's one of the salesmen. One okay. of the sales guys, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he started- or project uh, managers, and, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and this is where you, you know, talked about some of this stuff and uh, the idea that, if we're going to push for change, it starts with the consumer. We have to ask. Mm-hmm. Like that message came out loud and clear. But yeah. like we have to, we have to, A, we have to ask, and B, we have to know what to ask for. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I've been interviewing different people that had different jobs in the industry, publishers, manufacturers, designers. And they've all said, we listen to the consumers. We, we want to hear what they want, at least when it comes to these um options like these these different options so if people want the spot ev that's what they will produce if people want more plastic miniatures that's what they will produce but if there is a movement or if there is more attention on 
um, responsibly sourced paper, guess what? That's what they will look for. That's what they will invest in. And that's what they will produce. Like that's, it goes both ways. And if people start saying, hey, maybe I like my game exactly the way it is. I just don't need that spot UV stuff. I don't, mm -hmm. it's fine. I don't need it. Make the tree huggers happy, mm -hmm. cut it out. Then guess what? They're gonna, they're gonna drop it. They're gonna stop putting that on board games. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's exciting to think about if, if people realize like, yeah, we have a whole lot of big problems in these worlds, but we also can do stuff about it. And it's not going to change the whole game. It's not gonna change the industry, except to make it like more sustainable, right. then um, why not? Like, it's not gonna change it for yeah. the worse. Yeah, we're not going to get uglier games. Like we're that, that, I, that's we're past that. We're not, there's no way we're going to be playing. <laughs> so like um okay, actually so, so we'll check this out. Uh so <laughs> So the pod for the podcast listeners I'm reaching for a game. This is called uh, Race for the Treasure. This is from a group called Peaceable Kingdom. I don't know if they I don't know if they're still making games or whatever, but like they're like see it has this little thing, 100% green inside. Mm, right? that's awesome and it's totally awesome but this thing is flimsy <laughs> oh <laughs> that's so good super, no, yeah. i mean if a, you this is cool for a kid's game but mm -hmm. i think the fear is that something like this like if we if the tree huggers had their way that like mm -hmm. every game would we'd be as flimsy as this i mean uh, it is no. not it's it's a very kind of you know flimsy box and they're the cards are, or whatever um so i think the fear is that like you know i come here for escape and mm -hmm. it's a, it's a middle-class hobby. Like you mentioned before, like there's a lot of people with money that are in this hobby and they want to buy an experience with their money. And they're like, okay, I'm not going to buy this. And therefore it won't be my hobby anymore. And that's where a lot of the fear and the backlash comes from. And what you're saying is like, I love the way you're breaking it down because you're trying to be really smart about it. Like you're trying to be like, okay, here's a thing that we can talk about and say, okay, spot UVD really that that's not, that doesn't uh, add to the game. Right. I mean, and looking a little bit deeper, you know, maybe we can kind of push innovation, mm -hmm. you know, because that's how we're, you know, it's not like, I think, you know, I don't want to be less, like I want to innovate. It's like, okay, let's get a thing that we can, you know, because these things don't come from nowhere. Like, you know, the recycling is an innovation and, you know, you know, uh, linens, this is all innovations. And like, so like to push further in that, in that direction, yeah. so like, I don't want to go back. I don't want to have all play children's games, but I would like to ha have this conversation help inspire well, just, within the community yeah yeah for that. well what, what i'd like people to think about is like think about the games that we were playing 10 years ago the games that we were playing 10 15 years ago were way more eco-friendly than mm. they are now and they're great and they're still in your book and your bookshelf or your game shelf and you still play them mm. and they were games that were produced in germany some of them may have had FFC wooden. Some of them have linen covers on. Like this is old school, like uh, production, and it's more eco friendly. It doesn't have lots of plastic. It doesn't have plastic inserts. The things that are most harmful are the things that are becoming more trendy. And if we really got rid of them, we would be going back to basics. But mm. that could be good. That could be good and it could still be quality. And like, I, I realize that maybe publishers and manufacturers aren't a fan of that because they won't make so much money, but that's, you know, maybe where we need to, I don't know, that doesn't sound good. It's not necessarily well, okay, true. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like, you put it this way, like the, you know, they leave shipping from China, right? So talk about like, you know, board game manufacturers outsource their shipping from China, yes. right? Uh, because it's cheaper. And they can make more money by shipping the goods in from China as opposed to making it locally. What we're finding is that, you know, you check in that shipping bill that came in last year that, you know, the container is now worth 12 times of whatever it is, or, yeah. you know, other things are kind of getting in there. So it's like you reach for that honeypot of quick of profit yeah. and yeah. it's like, you know, you might get bit. And so the... So, so like, you know, having, having companies kind of think about, okay, when you reach for the short-term honeypot, then the answer is obvious, but is it worth reaching for the short-term honeypot? Can you figure out how to, you know, do a game that may have been uh, of the same quality that released 10 years? It's a really nice game 10 years. Days of Wonder was made, was doing really good work. Uh, yeah, years, and I mean, I also think that um, a lot of publishers are kind of in a weird situation 
where they aren't actually able to sustain their their business anymore because they can't afford to get their games back right. from China because of the shipping issues. And maybe it would be more sustainable uh, and more eco-friendly to produce games in the U.S. maybe or right. more localized or, you know, in Europe. In, in, um, and that's super hard. And that's something that I had Andrew Navarro on because the, the, the developed nations have kind of like slipped on that capacity. Like we've definitely like, you know, let China be the world's factory. So like we, it would take a sea change. And so like, we can say that, but we mm -hmm. don't say that lightly. We don't say that like, okay, well, just do it tomorrow. Like, you know, to really invest and start with small card games or start with, you know, these other air, things that you can do, partnerships where it's like, okay, start producing locally and to begin that process and to, and on our part to help the audience build up that demand you know mm -hmm. like and yeah. if, and and make it uh you know help people understand that like we're not just yelling and screaming and making people feel bad uh <laughs> we no, are trying no. to like really you know persuade folks yeah and to and to them. also bring new uh solutions yeah. to problems that people are just naturally having that like would be more sustainable not only for the environment but for better for better business like mm -hmm. Um, for example, you can pursue like public, like manufacturing in the EU. And if you, for example, Germany is very, um, green energy conscious and for, and Ludofac, they do a hundred percent green energy, like no joke. They have windmills, they have solar panels and that was something that the um the founder was truly passionate about but now you know think about it, all your ticket to ride games are you know made in a factory that was powered by solar and wind like mm -hmm. i know that's mind-boggling to think about but it's true like they're actually making it work so um there are brands that are doing it differently and um and i think that even china like i don't mean to like say that all manufacturing in China is bad, but it's just not as sustainable because they don't have the networks available. They don't have the resources available and they are used to companies coming to them for the lowest dollar. Like they are used to that. So they're used to pinching their workers to you know work for the lowest fee and mm -hmm. for getting supplies for the lowest fee. We really got to raise the bar and say, no, we actually want you to make this game and we want you to make it, you know, high quality, and it doesn't have to be with the cheapest material you can possibly find. Um, yeah, but again, that's like I'm an idealistic world, I guess. We are gonna. I, I think but, it, it just helps to, for all of us to do a little bit, and for all of us to be educated, for yeah. all of us to, you know, kind of. Because this is gonna happen, right? I mean, like, like you know. There's going to be a giant iceberg that falls into the Atlantic Ocean, and like we're going to have these these big old things. Like we've already gotten climate change, we've already gotten wildfires that are out of control. We're already we're already on this path, right? You mentioned before, like this train uh, that's going. So it's like, okay, uh, rather than despair, and I, I'm a I'm psychotherapist, yeah. like, and, and and we're all this whole therapy, this whole therapy conversation yeah. has been about like, okay, let's not despair. Let's do what mm -hmm. we can. And yeah. it really, if we were to kind of build a movement within the board game industry to ask for this stuff and to push companies to innovate or to step back from the demand, like stop sticking your hand to honeypot so much uh, yeah. for, of like, you know, cheap deluxification, uh, you know, on the consumer end and the publisher. And if we can kind of walk back from that, that would actually make a difference. It would make an impact. It know? would, and yeah. It might spur an innovation that helps along. And, you know, because, you know, print companies don't just make board games, they make all sorts of stuff. So that right, if they right. learn how to make something else that yeah. would, that, you know, the ripple effects are, are positive. So like, I really want to end on a hopeful note. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And actually my series that I, that I um, talk about sustainability is called across the board. And my real vision for that is to see people um, look at the environment in a different way and to look at it, like to think about it in their everyday life. And I feel like if someone who maybe doesn't normally think about the environment, but when they look at their game, they're like, oh, that could be more eco-friendly. Then maybe the next time they go to buy clothing, they could buy something that, you know, was made right. with a hundred percent organic cotton, then instead of something that had maybe synthetic fibers and 
And these little changes make a big difference. And eventually across the board, everyone will be making smaller or um, small steps towards uh, sustainability. So oh, that's really the fashion. vision. That's a whole nother show. We that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's small steps. Like, yeah, maybe you don't buy the sweater made out of polyester and you buy the one made out of wool and it's a small thing. But and don't change your up. closet out every three months. Yeah. <laughs> you can go yeah. into the whole thing. Yeah, just uh, use what you have, yeah. But, and I feel like the, the idea, like when I first started talking about this, it was just obscene. People were like, you can't talk about this in board gaming. This is my hobby. You know, it doesn't matter. It's a drop in the bucket, you know, get out of here, whatever. But in my mind, I was like, yeah, but it's just another small step. We could all just do something little and it can make a big difference. And I don't want to keep investing in an industry that doesn't care about the environment. This is my spending money. I'm like, I care about this. I'm not going to invest my money into something that like is going to make me sad when I look at all the plastic. <laughs> so like, I, I want people to know, like, it doesn't, um, it doesn't mean that everything has to change. It's just like doing one thing differently. Maybe a brand, maybe um, a publisher just says like, okay, well, we're going to use, um, you know, paper packaging instead of bubble wrap for the packaging. One step, that's great. I love it. You know, maybe someone's like, we're we're gonna boycott Spot UV. One step, I love it. You know, it just it just takes people talking about it. And um, hopefully it'll spread. <laughs> yeah, and we're gonna continue to have these conversations. You know, in a spirit of education and compassion, that's the whole point of Good Trouble. And I think we've, uh, you know, that we've begun it yeah. and then we're gonna keep on doing it. Um, but uh, One Pip Wonder, uh, Jonna, tell the people where they can reach you. Oh, sure, yeah. You can check out my channel, One Pip Wonder, and I do board game reviews. I talk about the environmental impacts of the board games I review, and I also have a lot of people come on the channel to talk about sustainability. And yeah, so you can check me out there or shoot me an email. Um, yeah. One Pip Wonder at gmail.com? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, John and Minotto, thank you so much for taking the time. This was a pleasure. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, later, everybody. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.